This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. A big part of our strategy with health systems is you have the opportunity here to be at the vanguard of thinking strategically about this data recognizing that the payers on the other end will be looking at likely the same sets of data and acknowledge that maybe you and the payer are looking at more of the same source of truth than you were before in your managed care negotiations. Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Kelly Richard, and today we'll be discussing price transparency. On the podcast today, we have Chris Severn, CEO of Turquoise Health, and our very own Brian Esser, Associate Principal and Payment and Policy Expert on the Intelligence Team. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having Thanks me. For having us. So, Chris, let's start with you. Just do a quick introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Turquoise Health. I'm Chris Severn. I'm the CEO of Turquoise Health. My whole background is in hospital revenue cycle, building software to find hospital underpayments. For better or for worse, I became an expert at those secret negotiated rates between hospitals and insurance companies down to pricing claims to the last cent. I was doing work in claims pricing when the price transparency regulation came out in 2019. My co-founder, Adam Getchy, and I, we were already running a business, and we saw the potential for price transparency to really shift the industry on the tailwinds of that legislation. And now, two years later, Turquoise has been in existence for a year. Here we are fully focused on price transparency. Great. And just for our listeners to kind of understand exactly what Turquoise does, who are your customers and what do you do for them? What's interesting is we went and gathered a bunch of this price transparency data and made it free on our website for patients and consumers to use. A lot of folks assume that we're a direct consumer business, but right now that couldn't be further from the truth. This data is really early stages and it requires providers and payers to work together to clean the data up and actually make it actionable to consumers. Right now, our customers are providers, be it health systems, hospitals, and payers, all the way from large national payers down to self-insured employers. And we're mostly helping them, one, comply with price transparency, Two, use the data that's out there to help inform their strategy for patients and for rate negotiations. And three, we're starting to help them think competitively and strategically now that this data is available. You probably know that our client base is really largely health systems, and their biggest fear was that the only folks that would really use this data would be those on the payer side. Tell me a little bit about health systems you interact with. How do you think that they're reacting to this or do you think that there's a way that your company actually is beneficial to them? The first part of this that we thought about is the inevitability of this data being widely used. Everybody's fear, payers don't want providers to use this data. Providers don't want payers to use this data. But the reality is it's public data. It's widely available. And we can't really keep it from anybody using it. A big part of our strategy with health systems is you have the opportunity here to be at the vanguard of thinking strategically about this data, recognizing that the payers on the other end will be looking at likely the same sets of data. There's an opportunity for providers to accept this and see this as just a common course of managed care now that this data is out there and to think strategically and acknowledge that maybe you and the payer are looking at more of the same source of truth than you were before in your managed care negotiations. That could help turn the relationship a little less adversarial and more just realist and say, we're all looking at the same market data here. How should we rework this agreement to be fair to patients and to be reasonable with market conditions? That makes a lot of sense. 
When you think about the progress that health systems have made since 2019, when this started becoming a regulation, we know that regulations really gave them this very small financial penalty. We're seeing some policy changes, at least proposed, come down the pike. To date, how compliant have health systems been with price transparency regulations? It's very interesting to walk through the short history of compliance, which is before Turquoise existed, we were trying to pitch hospitals on price transparency in late 2020. And really falling on deaf ears, most hospitals thought that the lawsuit from AHA would strike down the price transparency regulation. It wasn't really until December 27th of 2020, when the appeals court decision came down, that several hospitals decided to post their data on January 1st, four days later. And then we started really hearing from hospitals that are like, I guess we got to do this in the winter of 2021. As the year has unfolded, we've seen a lot more hospitals come towards compliance. We've seen compliant machine readable files from over 3,000 hospitals now. And Turquoise team is going back and checking each month for new machine readable file updates. We've generally seen pretty good compliance with the patient estimate tool for shoppable services, plus or minus a few features of that tool. And then now with recent press pressure, we're seeing hospitals come online by the day. Especially when reporters reach out, you'll see a new machine readable file a day or two days after that report. We're at this wave where a lot of folks are reluctantly complying. And then you've got maybe 10% of health systems and a lot of Turquoise customers that are months ahead of the game and are using this data already in their managed care negotiations and their cash pay strategy for patients and shoppable services. We have seen some health systems that were really on the ball and are now one quarter into productionizing this data in their environment. Brian, on the provider side, as you talk to clients, what are you hearing in terms of how they view the regulations and whether or not they're compliant with them? Are they using them at all to their advantage? It seems like the arc or trajectory of provider reaction to transparency was that initial phase of concern and is this real? And then it became very real. And then it was the compliance phase and who's going to go first in the market? If you're in a multi-system market, if you're the one to put those prices out there first, does that disadvantage you or does that give you a first mover advantage? And there was different perceptions from different leadership teams. So we saw some dabbling and who's going to be out in the lead. Something I want to touch on a little bit, Chris, that you had mentioned is that pressure point of a reporter reaching out to a health system. But if you're last and you get an article written about you, it's not great press. It's really the carrot and the stick. Talking about the carrot a bit, there's a real value to being first here and being thoughtful about this. I think with your patient facing strategy and your PR strategy, I would love to see some of the press around this move more towards praising hospitals that have done a good job with press transparency. And at Turquoise, we have a few things in the works for highlighting the hospitals that have really clean machine readable file data and press transparency tools and doing a list of those really forward thinking institutions. CMS proposed as much in their recent rule of how do we reward and highlight hospitals that are doing a good job with this. But there's also a huge benefit of playing ball in terms of driving more volume for the hospital and getting paid faster because it makes you more attractive to contract with. Talking about large employers or really nimble payers that are like, this hospital is really forward about their rates and their contracting structures. It looks like they're open to driving more managed care and self-referral volume their way. So let's go contact them. And typically those hospitals will also make it easier to establish a contract that's reasonable and not advanced level calculus. 
so that that hospital is getting paid faster. And what we're trying to do at Turquoise is really use more of the carrot here and say, here's why you want to be transparent. And here's why you want to have simpler contracting structures, because this is a good thing. And it is an inevitability. If you don't do it, you might feel more of the stick from the press or from dissatisfied patients with your patient financial experience. That's a great point. Something that you talked about earlier is the changing relationship between the payer and the provider. As we look into the future in the next six months to 18 months, even to five years, how do you think this regulation in general and the data with companies like yours making it usable is going to change that relationship? It takes me back to when I bought my Subaru in like 2017. I went in and I had done research on the cost of a Subaru and the salesman at the dealership was like, ah, oh, we can't go that low. It's impossible. Let me talk to my boss. And there's this really big like song and dance around buying a car. And you see a bunch of car companies online now that are just like, this is the price of the car. You can just add to cart and buy it. And I think we'll see the same thing around managed care. There's so much that goes into the contract negotiation process in managed care. A lot of he said, she said, we're using this claims data set. You're using this claims data set. This is the best discount we can give the payer wanting more. And I think a lot of that song and dance will go out of it, especially over time as these contract structures standardize a bit, as it becomes more apparent that this is the market data. We're looking at the same thing here. So let's avoid the song and dance and just agree on a reasonable rate. I would love to see that level of simplification happen to managed care. And maybe that level of agility and speed hit the managed care negotiation process. And that's a lot of what we're working on at Turquoise, providing that same source of truth through a software platform where providers and payers can just shake hands and agree on a contract rate in the same interface. Yeah, it made me think about that switch of that relationship, making it more simple, making it more transparent. And we often connect that to the shift to value-based care. What I think is interesting, though, is that it doesn't need to be a shift to value-based care. And I would love to hear your perspective on how it's used in the fee-for-service world as well. The reality is so much of this world still runs on fee-for-service. And a lot of what's broken with price transparency is still with fee-for-service. Where we're starting at Turquoise is the renegotiation of and the display of generally fee-for-service rates. That's what you find in a lot of these machine-readable files, surgical case rates, fee schedules, what have you. In the contracting platform, there's a really easy extension to value-based care. There's established best practices for outcomes to attach as SLAs to contracts. As folks become more comfortable with negotiating fee-for-service in the same source of truth platform, they would in turn become more comfortable adding a value-based SLA here or there. What we have to think about at Turquoise, because we're trying to be a software platform, not really like a huge consultancy, is how do we bring value-based SLAs into contracts on Turquoise? We say the term self-adjudicating, that there's not a lot of human input to say, what was the outcome here? It's something that's tracked and reported on through data. And so that's what we're focused on is how can we incorporate value-based care without a legion of consultants working at Turquoise because we're mostly engineers and whatnot. Well, Brian and I have both been that legion of consultants. <laughs> yeah, and, and we plan to have consultants just working on our platform, just we don't have the employees to do that at Turquoise. I get it. And I think the less it takes to get that going and get physicians and clinicians using it so that the data is just getting picked up, the better it is. You shouldn't have to have a bunch of training for really good technology. I would see it more as like the consultants can help you decide which value-based metrics are best for this contract, but we shouldn't have a bunch of folks tracking down the outcomes data and ingesting them into a pipeline. And that should be handled more automatically. 
Chris, our customer base at SG2 is very chief strategy officer focused, and they're looking historically at the market, demand, assets, those kind of things. Has the RevCycle team historically been paired with chief strategy officers or just the strategy team? And do they have a two-way communication that's meaningful today? And how does price transparency change the need for that? In my experience, working as a revenue cycle consultant for five years, getting flown out to the furthest reaches of the country and put in a corner of an office, the RevCycle team in the business office is often very separate from strategy, rolling up to the head of managed or the head of RevCycle and the CFO. And the RevCycle team is very retrospective. We're looking at past claims and collections. We're just going to see a lot more RevCycle be incorporated in strategy and in managed care as we think about price transparency and new contracting methodologies. And I'm sure that's already happening at some health systems. There might be folks listening to this that think the head of RevCycle is in all of our strategy meetings, and that's great. But there probably are some customers of yours that still have a RevCycle office that is really just focused on collections and aging accounts and whatnot. They're the ones that can tell you, here are the bills that patients are really struggling to pay and payers are really struggling to pay on time because the contracts are so complex or charge capture takes so long for these contracts before we could get a clean bill out. Those are the conversations you want to have because the winners here are the ones that move their contracting methods to something more healthy for price transparency that can be more cleanly adjudicated on the front end. You had mentioned that right now you're really not a direct consumer offering, but how does this impact patients when transparency is sort of fully implemented and organizations have a simplified contracting process? What does this look like on the front end for patients that are now interacting with the system and purchasing healthcare and paying bills? I love this question. So I'll try not to talk about it for an hour. The truth is this data in the machine readable files is not ready for patients and the hospitals know that all of their disclaimers say that. The savvy patient can use the data in a machine-readable file more as a compass to say, if I have Humana, is it overall more affordable for me to go to health system A or health system B? And that's really just for savvy patients right now. For this to be actionable for patients, it's got to be as simple as when I go on Amazon and shop for a toaster. I know what a toaster does. I know exactly what it will cost and when it will arrive. And you need all those data points in front of patients. And the complexity here for hospitals is there's a lot of associated charges and services with one visit. So if I'm going in for a cardiac ablation, there's that ablation hard-coded CPT, all the ancillary charges that come along with it, the professional fees. Really to get this to that retail experience where patients can compare options, you need a mechanism and a standard infrastructure for conveying full service packages. And so something we're really hard at work on at Turquoise is an open source service package library for everything under the sun to say, here's what's typically involved in a cardiac ablation so that you, a hospital, are quoting a more inclusive rate to patients. Because then if you can do that and you could quote that full service package cost share on the front end, which the No Surprises Act and Advanced EOBs is already getting at from the legal angle, then you could collect from patients up front. And patients love that peace of mind. You already see that working really well with some other startups. The more that we can package these slightly complex services into an accurate patient cost share, the less you have to track patients and payers down for bills three or four months after the fact. Brian, do you want to add anything? No, but I had another question for Chris. When you look at the data, we're seeing, I saw the Chamber of Commerce and a few uh, PBMs came out in the lawsuit saying overall price transparency is going to drive prices up. 
it seems like economists are saying that you're going to have those that are high end of prices. There's also those on the low. And there's a risk that those on the lower side will drive their rates up to get to that average or median, while there might be some concessions on the high side. Is Turquoise looking at tracking just average prices across the markets and seeing the impact of the transparency legislation? Or is that going to be up to more formal economic or policy folks? That's a great question. We have 10 or 15 of the top research institutions in the U.S. in our data with an academic license, much smarter economists than myself. We've heard the concern that this drives the price of healthcare up in the U.S., and I am not going to sit here and say I know exactly what's going to happen when all this data is on the market. However, from my Econ 101 class and 102 in college, I always remember saying in all of our case studies that let's imagine a scenario where their full economic conditions are enforced, where everybody has full access to data. It's always like that perfect economic scenario. Right now, that doesn't exist. And for this to work really well, there needs to be healthy competition, which means there needs to be full compliance. Really, we need this payer rule coupled with the hospital rule, because if there are regions where the cost of hospital outpatient surgeries are just way out of line with market, but we don't have the requirement for ASCs and subacute providers to have their rates out there, then you don't have all the data on the market for this competition. I am concerned when we see that the payer rule gets delayed six months with their machine readable file implementation to July of 2022. Because I do think from an economist perspective, it's important to have all this data in the same database for overall value comparison. You may see some regions when it's just hospitals competing with hospitals or when one health system is still withholding through the end of 2021, where some funky things happen economically until all this data is out there. That makes sense. And especially with the shift to the ambulatory setting, if ASCs and those outpatient sites are not included, that could really throw things off. Something maybe a lot of hospitals noticed is CMS was going to get rid of the inpatient-only procedures, and then they walked back. That's overall a good thing for hospitals that are providing certain procedures in hospital care setting, inpatient care setting. I think most of those procedures are on the list for a reason, but that was definitely a threat to ASCs coming in and trying to compete. Certainly. I want to thank both of you for coming on the podcast today. Chris, really, really interesting stuff that you're working on and we'll continue to follow you and keep in touch. Would love to hear how this unfolds over the next six months to a year. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is an exciting time for price transparency. If you like mental chess in hospital strategy, this is also a very exciting time. And so I'd love to stay in touch as this rolls out. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, good to see you, Chris. Thank you for the time. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast, on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.